the Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I gotta tell you, every single week I think I'm gonna mess that up. Every single week, I'm like, I know I'm gonna mess up one of the S-words, and I don't. It's like Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, or whatever it's called. Like, you just memorize these words over and over. Like, you know when you say the word ketchup too many times, and then you're like, ketchup? ketchup ketchup and words lose all sense of meaning anyway who cares i gotta tell you i went to my first balloon festival over the weekend and granted i'm a little like carnival deprived (laughs) in case that's uh not obvious i'm itching for rides i'm itching for cotton candy i haven't had cotton candy in so long why did i even say that out loud now i'm sad i just really miss so many of the little things that come with themed entertainment so to be able to go outside which is good in a field which is good and see balloons which are far away is great Only one of them was not far away because it landed next to me. I went to a balloon launch, which means they go up. They don't come down next to you and you slowly like walk away and try not to look nervous like the boulder in Indiana Jones behind you. Like, oh no, is this going to flatten me? But I kept my cool and I just walked away swiftly and it just landed next to me. A whole balloon, a whole hot air balloon. And it was wild. I mean, at one point, I was out in this, like, uh, like a, like a, not a mountain, not a field, like a hill. Not a hill. It's kind of like above a golf course, but it has, like, prairie grass, so I don't know what terrain it would be. But this balloon, like, clearly was not catching the wind right, and it went, like, towards me. <laughs> and I was like, that balloon's uh, it's not going up. It's going right to my face. And then he was so close. It was, like, this dude who was piloting it with a few people, like, maybe three or four people. And he was talking to someone else on the ground who was, like, 20 feet away from me. And the person 20 feet away from me was like, you're my favorite balloon at the balloon festival. And the guy's like, oh, thank you. Like, having a conversation with someone in a balloon, like, that's a normal everyday thing. But when I'm this deprived of attractions, seeing a literal circus-themed hot air balloon filled me with joy. It gave me all of the power I needed for all of the work I did today and going into the week, knowing that it's going to be a very long time until I'm on an attraction again. Now, I do have a small opening where it's like, I could do this, but I'm not going to. And I'm not talking about Disney World or Universal Orlando or anything like that. I am in Colorado currently. I've been living here for uh, maybe two months, which was unexpected. I've been here for a little longer than anticipated. But there is a (laughs) amusement park that is like two hours away, an hour away. I'm not sure. And it's on top of a mountain. And I was like, okay, if I do the first reservation, that seems pretty safe. Masks are required. Uh, It's all outdoors on the top of a mountain. So like there's nobody's going there that is just like a casual day guest. Like you are scheduling that out because you even have to take like a whole thing up to the top of the mountain. Anyway, I wanted to go to this because I was like, this feels like a safe way to maybe experience an attraction. Get in there at 10 a.m., get out of there at 11 a.m., do what I want to do and bounce. Only I realized the attractions themselves aren't that good. The whole shtick is that you're on top of a friggin' mountain. (laughs) And the roller coaster, which is what I wanted to go to, was closed. And all it is is like a high-flying swing ride over the mountain. And like other things that just sail you over the mountain. And that's not, that's not for me. That's not for me. I want to go for a good attraction. I don't want to go for the attraction being that you will fear death because these rides are just hanging off the side of a cliff. That's not really, that's not what I'm going for. Now, if you do want to go and be braver than I am, the name of it is Glenwood Caverns Adventure Park. I should go, but I'm scared. I'm not really scared of uh, any people being there because like I said, it's on the top of a mountain. (laughs) And their attendance is limited probably to like 20 people because there's only four rides. No, thank you. No, thank you. Now, this week's episode is a doozy. You may or may not be familiar with the story we're about to tell. It was a small internet phenomenon that happened at the beginning of the pandemic. Everybody talked about it, and then it just sort of went away. When I first announced this podcast back in July... I got a tweet from the Monorail Times saying, can we please get a deep dive on the most bonkers pandemic theme park story? The Galaxy's Edge sodas showing up in a middle of nowhere Alabama convenience store and that the Lopez brothers tried to buy them? 
None of this has been fact-checked. Could use real reporting. Thank you, the monorail times. Because like a truffle dog looking for a mushroom, oh, I hunted down details since the day that tweet was sent. And I'm proud to say, I got some airtight answers. This one has everything, including sticky fingers, possibly in more ways than one. Stay tuned, news is up next, and then we dive into the great soda mystery. First up, straight out of the gate, Universal pulled it off. They apparently figured out a way to offer a little bit of Halloween within the parks this fall. Now, this weekend is going to be a kind of trial run for HHN Light, as a lot of people have been referring to it online. Two Halloween Horror Nights haunted houses will open at Universal Studios Florida during the day. Both will use virtual line, which gives guests a return time for when they can come back. There's also safety precautions like plexiglass between the scare actors and hand sanitizer required before entering each house, according to Orlando Park Stop. And to me, it sounds super doable, especially because guests can be parsed out through the house, just like an attraction, to allow for social distancing. Costumes are encouraged this upcoming weekend, and in Islands of Adventure, there's even trick-or-treating, which is extremely exciting, except it's only for 12 and under, which I think is a little bit rude. Adults deserve candy at the end of this year as much as kids do. It's more than likely that if things go well this weekend, it'll be extended through the spooky season, so stay tuned for more updates. As many of you already know, Halloween festivities began at Magic Kingdom yesterday, and the costumes are so Good, especially since you can actually see the characters wearing them in the daytime, unlike at the nighttime party. Pluto is a lion. Eeyore is a clown. Oh my god, it's so good. Now, I'm personally not traveling to Florida anytime soon, but seeing a little video of Eeyore rolling down Main Street when I woke up filled me with so much theme park joy. Now, another thing landed at Walt Disney World this week. I really thought we'd be free of the whole Olu conversation. I mean, he went overseas, he went to all the parks, despite current international travel restrictions, and I thought this would be the end of it. But no. Olu has taken his conquest to Polynesian Village Resort at Disney World, because if Halloween wasn't important enough, they basically had a full Olu holiday at the hotel yesterday. Themed cupcakes? Dole Whips, an unfathomable amount of merchandise. I mean, I get it. Alani's been closed a long time. Revenue coming in is good. There's no shame in that. But like, come on. I've yelled about this enough online already today, but I just know. I know Olu is going to end up at Disneyland. I know he's going to be there. I'd love for a Duffy. I'd die for a Gelatoni. I'd be cool with a Cookie Ann. But I know Olu's just going to waltz into World of Disney one day, and I'm going to be very, very upset about it. Speaking of, they're now selling a bunch of Galaxy's Edge stuff in the old Wonderground Gallery at Downtown Disney, and the Wonderground Gallery is now the old Wonderground Gallery? It's closed? Maybe temporarily? Maybe forever? No one seems to know, as this happened as I'm recording it. But... Super weird, right? Thankfully, we have plenty more Star Wars stuff to talk about. So let's get into it. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Six weeks after all Disney parks worldwide stood closed, one small glimmer of them snuck out into public view. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the outer planetary theme park land located at both Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resort, may have been temporarily shut down, but a little bit of it wound up in all places at a discount grocery store. Coca-Cola soda orbs, which retail at $5.49 each within the park with a purchasing limit of three per person, now appeared to be sold hours from the nearest park at $6.99 a dozen. No limits, 
no questions, nobody totaling your purchase in credits instead of dollars. To say this was unfathomable is an understatement. For a Parks-exclusive product that's not licensed to appear anywhere else, to show up by the case in a random city while the parks sit closed is puzzling, as is the real story of how they may have wound up there. On the surface, it's a silly surprise that kept many of us entertained for a few days during the beginning of the pandemic. But in actuality, it's a story about America's food distribution models, told through the lens of exclusivity, NBA lore, theme park merchandise, and one of the most successful film franchises of all time. Now, to understand the significance of these sodas, let's take it back to 2019. Chicago, Star Wars Celebration. The major news out of that Galaxy's Edge panel? That the Coca-Cola company, for the first time, would sell fantastical little orbs of Coke, Diet Coke, and Sprite exclusively within Galaxy's Edge. Small, round, and wrapped in intentionally weathered labels, the thermal detonator-inspired packaging lacked one thing. English. Each bottle featured an arabesque translation of the product name that was kind of identifiable, yet still somewhat foreign. This news, at the time, seemed to divide theme park fans. Some, including yours truly, found the clearly branded products to undermine the rich backstory of Planet Batu, while others obsessed over the exclusivity and ability to get their favorite soda in a special package with a Star Wars twist. It's safe to say the latter prevailed. Fans still proudly wear their arabesque-inscripted red Coca-Cola shirts, a brag-worthy gift given to those who attended the panel. And the sodas, despite nonsensically appearing in an Outer Rim Planet's city center, frankly, work. These days, they're even sold from Coca-Cola droid kiosks and have become an easy take-home souvenir. Except for that short time around Disney World's opening, when the TSA banned them for looking like bombs. You see why, having only been around a year, these drinkable thermal detonators are somewhat infamous on their own. It's worth mentioning, too, that these are one of the few items intended to only be sold in a land that actually stayed that way. Take Galaxy's Edge itself, promised to be a mecca of unbranded, in-canon merchandise exclusively available there. Only a year after the opening, there's now an entire Galaxy's Edge outpost at Target stores, selling similar, if not identical, merchandise to what you'll find within the land. Even this week, items such as lightsabers from Doc Ondar's, exclusive to the land, are now being sold in downtown Disney. Now, given that we're in a pandemic, that does make sense. Disneyland, after all, is still closed, meaning that for many, there's simply no way to make your own lightsaber at Savi's, pick up a bag of crate red salt dusted popcorn, or enjoy a small orb of Sprite prior to boarding Smuggler's Run. So how on earth did hundreds of them wind up at a Hartford, Alabama grocery store when the parks were closed? That's what I'm determined to find out. To tell this story, you have to go all the way back to the source. Escaped Stitch, a Twitter user who will remain anonymous, is the only reason we even know this happened. On April 25th, 2020, he tweeted a photo of two 12-packs of Disney and Coke's collaborative thermal detonator sodas. Interesting find of the day, he shared. This random little store near where I live has whole 12-packs of Galaxy's Edge drinks for $6.99. Considering you can't ever buy them like this, Diz Twitter erupted, even causing a bit of a media frenzy. Fans came out of the woodwork to try and find out more details, and two days later, he shared a photo inside of what would be Tate's supermarket. Just stacks and stacks and stacks of Star Wars soda orbs sitting in the middle of a grocery store across from vinegar and jars of pickles. How did he happen upon this? Did he know they'd be there? I gave the man behind Escape Stitch a call to find out. You're the original source. Right. So walk me through your day. Is this a grocery store you usually go to? Did someone there tip you off? Like what happened? It was actually my girlfriend. Uh, we, we're both big Disney nuts. We go all the time. We're annual pass holders. So it's kind of a discount grocery store. It's actually about 45 minutes away from where like where my house is. But it's very well known like within the, the surrounding areas. It's like a bit. A lot of people go get their meat there. It's like a butcher. It's a family owned store. It's been there for as long as anybody can remember. So a lot of people will go there if they're having like cookouts or something like that to like get their meat there instead. So I'd gone over to her and her family's house to eat dinner one night. And she said, oh, hey, I have something interesting to show you. And I'm like, okay. 
So out of all the things I expected her to show me, this was probably the last thing that I expected. So I walked in and I was like, <laughs> that's a 12 case pack of Galaxy's Edge Cokes. And I was like, where in the world did you get these from? So she starts explaining to me that her mom just was going around in there and saw them there and was like, wait a minute, that looks like those Disney Cokes. So she got a pack of them. So I was like, okay, I'm super intrigued now because, you know, like I said, I'm a huge Disney Parks fan, but I'm also a big Star Wars fan too. And my dad's actually a huge Coca-Cola collector. He's been collecting for as long as I can remember. So I was like, okay, well, this is something we've got to go check out. So the next day, uh, we took the drive over there to see if they had any more. And we walked in the store and searched around for about five minutes. And all of a sudden, I just see a pallet, like a whole pallet or two, full of Diet Cokes, Cokes, and Sprites. And I was like, this is real. Like, this is this is crazy. So, of course, I bought a pack of each just to have for my personal collection to keep. And I went and checked out with them. The people there didn't really seem to know what they were. And I mean, looking back, I probably should have bought a few more cases than I did. But, you know, I was like, you know, I just want to buy some. I, I didn't have the plans of buying them and reselling them. I know like I saw some on eBay going for like $300 a case. I'm like, that was never my intention. I'm just a, I'm a fan over anything else. So I just wanted to get them to have to keep because that's just a, such a unique thing to be able to have. Yeah, when I was in there, I, I snapped two or three pictures and uploaded them to Twitter. And then from there, it just, it blew up. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of expected it to get a quite a bit of attention just being like the, the rare thing that it is. So I snapped it, put it on my Twitter, but I didn't really expect it to blow up like it did. Um, I think a few Disney news sites were like some of the first ones to pick it up initially. After that, like I started getting notifications from like CNN, Fox, NBC, like all these huge news outlets had picked it up. Everybody was trying to figure out, you know, how did these get here? So it, it was kind of crazy. I didn't really expect it to have the reaction it, it did. I know that there were several people that I saw on this Twitter that drove from Florida all the way up there, like six and a half hours. And they got there and the pallet was empty. And then about a day later, I saw them being posted $300 a case on eBay. And I was like, this is crazy. This is blown up way bigger than I, I thought it ever would. Wow. Did you end up talking to any of those news outlets? I actually had sent it in into several of them and uh, through Twitter DMs and they picked it up. And I actually had a lady from Insider Magazine called me and did an interview shortly after. I'm not sure. I never did see the article if it got posted anywhere, but um, I had several, several people. I, I really think I had more fans, Disney Park fans reach out to me like, where is this? And like, why is this here? And like, it was just, it was crazy because I know, like I've said before, like, I think it had a lot of factors surrounding it. Like number one, it's this rare item that you can only get at Galaxy's Edge. And here's a 12 pack of them. And the whole pack I bought for, I think like six ninety nine for the whole 12 pack. So I think that was a factor into it too, is like, look how cheap that he was able to buy these things. And it was crazy. I, like, like I said, I talked to, we actually know a lady that her family owns the store. And I'd sent her some of the articles and she was like, wow, that's so cool. You know, they get a lot of weird stuff come in, but I guarantee you nobody there knew what it was. Did you notice anything with the dates? Like, were these about to technically be expired? I did. I did notice that. I was told from people that shop there that said sometimes, you know, you can get stuff really cheap there, but you have to check the dates on it. I've actually got the cases right here near me. I can tell you, actually tell you what the dates are on them. <gasps> the Bounty. Let's see what they say. I'll have to pull them out from down oh here. Oh my god! But this must be what like archaeologists feel like when they find a bone. <laughs> I know. I was when I saw them in person. I was like, this can't be real. Like seeing them in person and the big pellet was like, this is insane. Okay, so the dates on them were April thirteenth of two thousand twenty. I can't remember exactly what what date it was that I oh, tweeted it out. You tweeted on the twenty seventh. Okay, so there we go. So they were about a week or two out of date. Wow. Okay. Interesting. You said you got one case of each. I did. I got I got one case of sprites, one case of cokes, and one case of diet cokes. And like I said, I. I could have bought more of them, I'm sure, but I just really wanted to have one of each for my personal collection to keep to just say, hey, look, I've got these. This is something cool to both add to 
my Disney collection and my dad's coat collection. So we were we were both pretty stoked about being able to get a hold of those. Have you opened up any of the packages at all? Have you treated yourself to one of the sodas? I haven't. I've kept them completely sealed. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to leave them sealed. It'll be like cooler of a novelty that way. Now, my girlfriend's family, they did open their case up. They gave them out to a few of their friends that, you know, go to the parks and that kind of thing. So they did open theirs up. Funny story, when we walked in the store there, when I was looking at the cases, I'm not sure you probably would be able to tell from the original pictures, but like some of the cases have been broken up and people have just been grabbing like one drink. So I think this place, like if you wanted one, like they'd probably ring it up for a dollar or something like that. It's like a, it's like that kind of store. So I, I think people were just coming in and like, like, oh, let me just grab this bottle of Coke here and pop it open and drink it, not even knowing, you know, what it was or the uniqueness of it. Aren't you tempted <laughs> to have one? <laughs> I really am. But I was like, you know what? It's it's a novelty thing. And if I ever tore it apart, I would completely regret it. So I was like, you know what? I've got some some bottles that are we bought the first time we went just because, like I said, my dad's a coat collector. So we had bought some from the parks at the regular price, one of each to have. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep them and I'm going to have them as a novelty and I'll just go buy me a fresh one and, and open it up next time I go back to the parks. What was your dad's reaction to this? Having, I don't know, been so invested in Coke products. It's it's funny because my whole family, we're all big Disney nuts. We all go all the time. So he was just as probably, I don't think he was quite as impressed as I was because it was just like, because he doesn't get really the Star Wars stuff. He's not really into that. He just knows like Disney parks and, and Coke, but he was definitely very excited to be able to get the the uniqueness of this stuff. He's over the years he's gathered quite a few really cool Coke items, very really rare stuff that you you can't really find anywhere else. So this was a perfect thing for the both of us to be able to add to our collection and say like, oh, I bet you don't have this in your collection or something like that, you know. It just really warms my heart that someone who is this invested in Disney and collecting Coke products wound up with this absolute soda bounty. It just happened to be so lucky that my girlfriend's family went there and we had just got, we'd actually just come back February. I went on a trip with her family to Disney and we had got some drinks there. So they knew what they looked like. So like, it was just sheer luck that they recognized them because I would have never thought in a million years to go drive and check this family owned grocery store to get Galaxy's Edge Coke. You know, if they wouldn't have known what it was and I would have never published it, those pallets could have sat there for another month or two and people just buy them up thinking, oh, this is just a regular Coke. These are cool round bottles. Let me get these and, and drink them, you know. It's so funny that there's so much merchandise at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And yet mm -hmm. this <laughs> this is the most special item I've ever seen. <laughs> right. It's just, I, it was just the weirdness factor of it. Like not only can you only get it at Galaxy's Edge, but it just shows up in a random grocery store in the middle of a s small, small town. So for that, such a unique item to show up somewhere like that was just, it's a very strange, strange factor. And I, I don't mean to like toot my own horn, but I'm really glad that somebody like me, a Disney collector found those because like, you know, they could have completely gone under the radar and nobody would have ever known something like that happened. And I, I think it's just such a unique story that I'm glad that I was able to kind of be a part of it and, and get it out there and spread it out there. One of the people who spotted the sodas on Twitter was Clayton Williams, a University of Central Florida student whose school closed at the start of the pandemic, sending him back home to Alabama. Being in the right place at the right time with, as he puts it, nothing much to do, he drove over to Tate's supermarket to see if those sodas were the real deal. And boy, was he in for a surprise. So I had just started getting into like the theme park Twitter area. I had checked it and someone had retweeted that there were Galaxy's Edge Coke in a random store in Alabama. Um, I think the original user was Escape Stitch, I believe. And I looked more into it and I realized that the store was only an hour away from where I was at the time. I didn't have anything else to do, so I drove and there they all were. The original plan was I was just going to get one of each for me. I ended up telling a couple of friends, hey, I found Galaxy's Edge Coke for like $7 a pallet for a 12 pack. Do you want some? And I ended up walking out with about eight more than I planned to. 
And that's how that happened. So when you're in the store, because I assume this would be like someone picking up 60 boxes of smacks. <laughs> to the untrained eye of someone who's not a theme park fan, this must have looked unhinged to be loading up on weird bottled drinks. Did you get any comment from anyone who was checking you out of the store or any other guests? Did anybody give you just uh, the craziest look you've ever seen? Oh, I definitely got tons of looks. <laughs> I remember one person, they walked by and they were like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's Coke from Disney World. I didn't know how to explain, like, <laughs> these are Star Wars thermal detonators to a random person in a store. When you got there, there were less sodas than were there originally, correct? I believe so. I want to say there were only about seven or eight missing. I don't remember the exact numbers, but there were definitely plenty left, gotcha. even oh after gosh. I took my tin. Wow. And I assume there's no limit because to regular people, this is just soda. Yeah. I mean, to regular people, they probably couldn't even read the label. Oh, yeah, because it was boxed up. It was boxed up. It was in a Star Wars language and it looked like bombs. <laughs> oh my gosh, just pallets of, of Arabesh bombs that people are like, I don't want any part of this. Like, I'm just here for olive oil. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you, you leave the store with all these sodas. What happens next? Like, do you have a full soda fridge in your basement? How many like tiny sprites did you drink? How did this whole thing go down? I've only drank one, surprisingly. What? I know. Most of them did go to my friends. Like I said, like, they weren't my Cokes. They were my friends' Cokes. They sent me money and I paid it for them. And yeah, other Wait. than that, they've just been sitting around. <laughs> you came home with 24 themed sodas. And since April, you've only had one? <laughs> oh, I came back with 120. Only 24 were from me. Okay. So, so, so of the 24, like, uh, this pandemic has been going on for a long, long time. At no point you were like, maybe I'll have a second one. You only had the first one. No, I, I'm not much of a soda drinker. It was all for <laughs> the story. Like, oh, one time during the pandemic, I drove an hour to go get cheap soda. Oh my gosh. So where are they right now? Some of them are, I've given them away to my friends that, sent me money. Others, they're still waiting to get picked up, but they're just in my house sitting. Wait, you're still housing some of them for your friends from April? Quite a few, yes. <laughs> Are these friends local or do they live like far away? A little bit of both. I'm from the area that the store was and I recently moved to Orlando. So a lot of my friends are in Orlando and we just have to meet up eventually. Did you drive a bunch of these back to Orlando? Yes. <laughs> Okay, you are you either don't have a lot of luggage or you are a very good friend. Both. <laughs> so so like I I I just I need to I need to know every detail of this story. So you when you drove, how many would you say you drove back? Probably like 80? I I guess so. I mean, they're kind of heavy. Like, I mean, I have a really, really junky car. So when I have anything heavy in it, it's hard to drive. Like it doesn't accelerate. Do you also have that experience? Yes. <laughs> so did you did you drive all the way back to Orlando being like, these sodas? Yes, five hours. <laughs> Have you texted your friends about this being like, I understand that there is a global pandemic, but you got to pick up your stuff? Yes, I have texted them plenty of times. <laughs> do you want to put them on blast? I'm happy to do it. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, Sarah, come pick up your Coke. Oh, my God. God, wow. So you moved them from state to state. You like smuggled them out of Alabama into Orlando and they're just still there. Smugglers run, yes. <laughs> now that is a very good friend. While Clayton was lucky enough to get his hands on cases of thermal detonators, other people were not as fortunate. Enter Brett, or Schmoofy as he's known on Twitter, who drove five hours from Florida to grab a case of discounted souvenir sodas only to come upon an entirely empty pallet where they once stood. When Clayton left the store, there were plenty of sodas left. But when Brett came by, just a few hours later, they were entirely gone. How? Brett told me he spoke with a store clerk who told him that someone phoned in and purchased the rest before he arrived and had already come through to pick them up. But who? Who could it be? Who would want a dozen Star Wars sodas so badly? Just brought it to the paint. And Giannis to three. 
Yep, all signs pointed to the only theme park obsessed professional basketball player who spends as much time on Twitter as we do, Robin Lopez. Why him? Well, I'll let Clayton explain it. I do need to ask you, I know that on April 27th, you tweeted that apparently the owners of the Milwaukee Bucks called looking for them. That's what the store people told me. Whenever I pulled up to the the register, they're like, why do you have so many? What's the deal with this? <laughs> apparently, they've had them in store for, I want to say, like one or two days, and they still had no reason for it. And I showed them the photo. I'm like, you're going viral on Twitter right now. <laughs> And they took my phone, they took it in the back, they were showing everyone, and they brought it back and they said, oh yeah, the owner of Milwaukee Bucks is calling, trying to get the soda, and he wants all of them, and he keeps repeatedly calling me, and he just wants them, he wants to make sure I still have them, and yeah. And this was just like a regular store employee? Yes, I'm I'm pretty sure it might have been a manager or something, but I'm not too sure it was the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. It might have just what they knew. I know that there's Lopez brothers on the Milwaukee Bucks that like to collect Star Wars and Disney stuff. I love so much that the employees had no clue that all of us across the country with so much free time were freaking out about this. And you're the one who told them. You showed them the light. I feel guilty, though, because there was another Twitter person. I believe his name was Smoofy. And yes. he, I think he drove all the way from Orlando. He got there maybe 30 minutes minutes later than me, and the whole pallet was empty. So I think once I told the store owners that it was a real deal, that they were going viral and these were very high demand, I think they put him in the back. And I think whoever was calling on the Milwaukee Bucks got some. Disney fans know Brooke and Robin Lopez, twin brothers and NBA teammates on the Milwaukee Bucks, have a major Disney obsession and a storied past when it comes to rare Disney collectibles. I reached out to the Bucks and, strangely, SodaGate wasn't one of their top priorities while the team was in playoffs. But I didn't stop there. After multiple failed attempts to contact the team, I finally reached out to the only person who would absolutely know what happened. Robin Lopez himself. Now, we didn't chat on the phone. The journalist in me knows that's the best option, but the dude was in the middle of an NBA playoff, and I'm not going to take up his pregame time yapping about old sodas. So I slid into his DMs. I explained to Robin that there had been reports that the GM of the Milwaukee Bucks apparently called in to purchase these cases of sodas, and it was widely speculated that it was for him and his brother. Was the call made on his behalf? According to Lopez, no! He was interested and had someone inquire, but they were all sold out before that person could even get their hands on them. And no, the person in question was not an employee of the Milwaukee Bucks. Case somewhat a little closed. Now, I fully assumed he was sitting on a crate of thermal detonators in what I imagine is the physical embodiment of the Disney vault within his home. But ends up, he came up empty too. Who bought the rest? My guess is an eBay reseller. Given how much the media was swirling about the sodas themselves and that eBay listings for them popped up very shortly afterwards, all of which are now gone, it's likely they just hit the resale market. There's still one more massive part to this great soda mystery, though. How on earth did they get there? Well, the story continues. Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. FrameBridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with FrameBridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, 
And even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer. And it thrills me to no end that because of Framebridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. Framebridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to framebridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's framebridge.com. There was a clue in the earlier portion of this episode. Both Clayton and Escape Stitch's bounty were expired, one on April 13th, the other on April 27th, both of this year. With Disney parks closing temporarily in March, it's easy to connect the dots or at least think you know who to point a gloved Mickey Mouse finger at. Only, I was somehow, someway, able to confirm that Disney is not the one responsible for this Tate's mystery. I spoke to someone who knew firsthand about what happens when time isn't on the side of their Coca-Cola thermal detonator sodas. I think things come directly from Coke. They might be transported slash handled by a third party, but I'm not sure who. When the land opened, there was a miscalculation in terms of demand because they ordered thousands of cases at the beginning, but it had a six-month or one-year expiration, and there was one time where I spent a few days dumping hundreds of them down the drain because they expired. By the time I got home, my pants were super, super sticky because we were dumping them down a floor drain. So I can confirm they definitely did not come from Walt Disney World because I know what we did with ours. Thank you, writer-actress Alexandra Ford, for recording that audio for the sake of anonymity. We're like a crime show now. It's wild. Now, I do want to make it extremely clear that Disney isn't just dumping good food into the trash. Both Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resorts donate over a million meals each year and money and volunteer time to Second Harvest Food Bank. From my understanding, only spoiled product is destroyed. I also heard from multiple people that some of these sodas wound up at food banks in the Orlando area during the park's temporary closure, which is possible as part of additional donations they were making. If you're thinking, that's weird, why didn't Disney just hold on to the Cokes for later? It ends up soda has a relatively short shelf life. I know this because I've spent the past week in deep conversations with many, many people who work in food distribution. One, who is familiar with food supply chains for major companies, explained to me how Coca-Cola typically distributes its product. They work directly with places like Target and Walmart and Kroger, but they also sell directly to value chains like Dollar Tree and convenience stores such as 7-Eleven. Because, as you can imagine, there's a ton of product being sent. They'll often ship directly to the company's warehouse. Somewhere like Tate's supermarket, however, would go through a third-party distributor because they're not big enough to get those direct shipments. Add, too, that products being delivered to a theme park would typically be handled by a third-party company, and, well, some possibilities for what happened start to emerge. Coca-Cola obviously did not honor my request for an interview, but they're not the only party involved. There's also Tate's supermarket themselves, where the bottles were found. You see, this isn't the first time Tate's has gotten attention for expired merchandise. Over 10 years ago, donated vitamin water products, which were... Okay, and this is weird. Supposedly going to be used to feed livestock were then flipped and sold to Avers Merchandise Group, Hoffman's Trade Group, and others who in turn sold them to grocery stores, including Tate's. Yes, if you have an eagle eye about brands, Vitamin Water's parent company is Coca-Cola, but is unrelated in this circumstance. More recently, a batch of Campbell's Soup products declared unsellable was, according to the Dothan Eagle, shipped to Midwest Processing for disposal, and then those wound up at Tate's. Tracking this stuff, as you can tell, is a web of nonsense to someone like me. There is this one guy, though, who had his hand in both instances, Dexter Jorgensen. I reached out, but considering the legal precedence of those aforementioned cases and that it appears his farm production has moved to a different state, and I'm kind of terrified of him because he owns and operates FireGuardArms.com, I don't expect a response, but I will absolutely update you if I get one. I tried researching some of those companies too, and their websites are just gobbledygook. 
It's just a bunch of nonsense text with banner ads for the Loungefly backpack that's been following me around the internet all week. Hoffman's trade group, though, still has an abandoned Twitter account up. Its bio states that the company is a food distributor in upstate New York dedicated to providing food banks and second-tier retailers with the lowest possible prices on food and non-food products. And that, I think, is the key to the answer. From all of my discussions, it seems something happened not on Coke's end, not on Disney's end, not on Tate's end, but somewhere in between. Tate's may very well have purchased the nearly expired product knowingly, but it ends up that's not illegal. According to the USDA, closed or coded dates for shelf-stable products besides infant formula are kind of just suggestions. They say products should still be safe and wholesome if handled properly until the time spoilage is evident. It's easy to be judgy, but the truth is we have a huge food waste problem in America. Stores like Tate's do some good to repurpose consumable groceries to Americans who need it. The USDA estimates that 30% of the food supply in our country is lost or wasted at the retail and consumer levels. And the best if used by date is just that. According to Crosscut, secondary grocers act as a store of last resort for expiring, discontinued, or damaged products. Millions of cash-strapped Americans rely on the savings these stores provide, since food at a secondary grocery is usually discounted 35 to 75%. And now, with so many out of work or even unemployed, it's more necessary than ever before. In the many people I spoke with who generously gave me their time, it became clear that there are really a lot of plausible explanations for how these Star Wars Land-exclusive sodas wound up at this random grocery store. Some thought it was a delivery mistake, as they apparently happen all the time. One person who worked at Burger King said they regularly used to get shipments intended for Dunkin' Donuts since there are just so many products being trucked by one person to multiple locations. Some grocery store employees stressed to me how quickly products was moving during the early weeks of the pandemic, which could have caused an accidental shipment of a product like this to wind up in the wrong place. But I have a working theory. I think when the parks closed, the Coca-Cola company deemed these sodas unsellable and gave them to another company to destroy. Supposedly, this is Coke's policy. They take back unsold expired product from delivery accounts, and any expired merchandise is destroyed. It's possible that company, in turn, could have flipped a profit and sold them to Tate's, or to someone else who went on to sell them to Tate's. But the thing I keep coming back to is that there wasn't that much soda. It's too little amount of soda to have been a full clean out of Galaxy's Edge's stock, and it's too much of soda to have been a promotional gift or a freebie to an employee or friend. And with no one, no one, to my knowledge, having found any other Star Wars orbs at any other grocery store in America, the case of the Star Wars sodas remains open for the time being. We may only have some of the answers, but what we do have is a shared collective experience of an unexpected pandemic burst of joy. In speaking with Clayton, he put it all so succinctly, so beautifully. In a way, these sodas aren't just discounted beverages. They're the ultimate theme park souvenir that so many want and only a few will ever have. And he is among those lucky few. It's just such a crazy story and how it's so in high demand that people were driving from Orlando and these Milwaukee Bucks players were trying to get it. These have like history behind them. I can't just get that at a cart. Oh my God. Wow. I did not think this was going to work. That's crazy. Um, hi, Carly. I was wondering, and your Facebook page, you know, you know, the super cool one. Uh, everyone's arguing about what is the best, um, Disney park. So, and what's the worst one? So I would like to know your rankings because I think there's a lot of Dak hate and I'm just, I'm not a fan about that. So please, I would like to know your hot tops. Thanks. Bye. Hi. So, yes, there was a heated debate in the Facebook group this week about Disney's Animal Kingdom. And by the way, the full name of my Facebook group is the Carly Wiesel Cool Time Internet Virtual Hangout Party because I clearly thought nobody would join. <laughs> and here we are. The use of the word cool in that call was just more accurate. It was less of a compliment. But anyway, there was this whole conversation about DAC or Disney's Animal Kingdom and I know this has the possibility to turn into a turn left, turn right world showcase situation. But honestly, personally, I think in terms of Walt Disney World parks, it's totally okay to like whatever you like. 
Magic Kingdom people like the classics. There's nothing wrong with that. Epcot people got that cool nostalgia and they like to hang. Great. Hollywood Studios people, listen, not my first choice, but you so patiently braved the past few years and now have a bounty of new rides that you've earned, so I applaud you. And Animal Kingdom, it's just people with good taste. You appreciate architecture and animals and nature. It's got thrills. It's also got the blazing hot sun, but there's a lot there and I really like it. That being said, my personal ranking. I can't do this without listing Magic Kingdom first because to me, if you went to Disney World and you didn't go to Magic Kingdom, you kind of didn't do Disney World. I mean, it's Magic Kingdom. I don't have to defend it to you. It's not where I prefer to spend all my time, but it's a Magic freaking Kingdom. Now, in second place, in a very, very close second, is Epcot. It's my personal favorite to visit, but right now it is not looking good. Good. I need to maybe get some advice from some Hollywood studio stands on how to proceed through the next few years, but it's just really hard to compliment Epcot when there's a dirt field in the center of it. You know what I mean? Like it's just empty. It's very rough around the edges right now. And because of COVID, I don't know how long it's going to take to do all of the refurbishments that are planned. But either way, even seeing the graves of my favorite places just sitting out there is emotionally hard, but I still love to be there. Now, Third place, Animal Kingdom. Very close third. I'm not even a big flight of passage person. I respect it. I know it's good, but it's not my vibe. But Expedition Everest is just impeccable. I mean, the ride's finale has been broken for what, like 72 years? And it's still one of the best Disney rides ever made. Yes, it's very hot there. And like, yes, it was super annoying for years when they always had those bad paper straws. But it's just so dang beautiful. It's the best. And now that Starbucks has sippy lids, it's rising in the ranks. And fourth, Hollywood Studios. I know it's not my favorite. I don't want to get into it. People who love Hollywood Studios, I love Hollywood Studios. I'm not going to fight with a pizza Rizzo stand. I'm not going to do it. So that's that's basically it. Uh, I will add, though, that I read through the arguments and I kind of get it. I mean, Animal Kingdom in pandemic times is not the best. It just kind of shows its hand at being a half-day park. But in the good times, Some of my best memories are being there, walking around with a group of friends, just hanging out. I think Animal Kingdom, you know, you do a happy hour at Nomad, you just walk around, you go to Starbucks. It's best with a bunch of people because you can kind of flow here and there and it's easy, unlike other parks where things have to be more structured. But hey, to each their own. I'm not going to rag on anyone. (laughs) I'm turning over a new leaf. I respect everyone's choices and I will yell at you if you like Olumel. Moving on. Hi, Carly. It is Jen calling from the suburbs of Chicago. And I just want to say a couple quick things. One, following your stories on the reopening of Disney really helped me plan for my own am I going or am I not going trip to Disney uh, in mid-August. Spoiler alert, we went. Um, and the best part was the upgrade from Port Orleans French Quarter to Riviera Resort, which I would never have stayed at or been able to afford to stay at, never will again. But hot take, it's actually my favorite resort ever. I know that's weird to say, but I loved it there. Uh, Second point, if you are ever going to do a discussion on the podcast about why Disney's Animal Kingdom is the worst theme park of all of them, um, call me. I'd love to chat about it. Thanks. Keep it up. Oh, my God. I did not mean to ignite arguments this week, but I fully forgot I was going back in my notes and I was like, oh, this call is scheduled for this episode. Oh, it goes directly in the face of the other call and I'm completely undermining myself. Great. Um, Anyway, why do people hate Animal Kingdom so much? I know I should have answered this in the last round, but too bad. It's a Sunday when I'm recording this and I'm not being efficient. Animal Kingdom's great, you guys. It's great. There's a whole safari. Kevin's there in non-pandemic times. The tree is beautiful. Literally just standing there, you're like, this is beautiful. I think that maybe people are getting too wowed by flashy attractions, even though Animal Kingdom has a really good one. But people are just getting wowed by all of the things that Disney World has to offer and not appreciating the nature and the design and the sight lines. Oh, my God. The sight lines of Animal Kingdom are absolutely 
perfect. Yes, Dino Land is like a big bowl of yikes. And Dinosaur is <laughs> quite possibly my least favorite ride ever made. I didn't know I was scared of the dark until I went on that ride a few years ago for the first time. Ay, ay, ay. Not a good situation all around. But either way, you all got to show some love for Animal Kingdom, okay? The design of it, the fact that you can enter and exit a different way each time. So like we got nothing to argue about. There's two different paths. Come on. It's Animal Kingdom. Have you ever been in a safari and then you stop because a giraffe is crossing the road? It's pure magic. Peter Pan's flight couldn't mimic that. Get out of here. Animal Kingdom's great. The end. Hello there. This is Doug from Ithaca, New York. And uh, what's your favorite attraction pre-show and why is it dinosaur? Love the show. Thanks. Okay, yeah, what started as a very low-level, non-controversial voicemail segment of the podcast has escalated into many hot takes involving Animal Kingdom. Dak doesn't want to be part of this, but I guess it's being looped in. We're just going to get it all out this week, so the next week we can focus on other stuff. Okay, like I said, do not love Dinosaur, so therefore not my favorite attraction pre-show. If I did have a favorite, uh, it would have to be Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which I will not spoil because it's very cute, but it's not currently running. So if you do ride that attraction for the first time during the pandemic, which is from now until question mark, question mark, you will not see what I think is one of the world's best pre-shows, honestly. But another all-time favorite is obviously Soren. I mean, you got Patrick Waterburton. Every single thing he says in that video is iconic, down to the fact that he himself did not know if he would still be the pre-show when they changed Soren over California to Soren around the world. You know what I mean? Like, it's putty from Seinfeld, y'all. It is the best. Like, oh, these little beauties. You know what I mean? Oh, it's the best. Nice work, pal. Okay, moving on. There's nothing better than the Soren pre-show. Get out of here with your dinosaur. I mean, okay, the dinosaur one's good, but still. Just put the belt through the loop in the center strap before buckling it. Nice work, pal. Hi, Carly. This is Ryan from Tampa, Florida. Hey, I was recently in Magic Kingdom over Labor Day and getting off Space Mountain. And in the gift shop, I heard what I believe to be a piece from the score of the social network, which I was kind of awestruck by. Not that I'm not an Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor fan and great score, but I just thought it was a little bit out of place, uh, especially in a Disney park. So I was wondering if, A, there are any cast members to confirm that this is the case, and B, kind of open it up to see if, you know, what what's kind of the most bizarre piece of non-Disney music that plays in the parks. Anyway, really enjoy the show and looking forward to future episodes. Thanks. I think I have the answer to your question. So I spoke to two different cast members who told me two different versions of what they think happened, both of which are extremely plausible. The first person I spoke with told me that when you exit through the gift shop after Space Mountain, you pass kind of by where the Tomorrowland leader's office would be. They play music in that office because, you know... It's an office, and it's possible that they could have been playing the soundtrack when you walked past, and that's what you heard. Now, the other person I spoke with told me that the music from the Social Network soundtrack is very similar to the music that plays in the Tomorrowland gift shop. It's a synthesized kind of alien sound music. There are some exclusive tracks and other ones that are remixed with space sounds, but one of them, they told me, is very similar to what plays in there. It's this song, Intriguing Possibilities, by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross from the Social Network soundtrack. Sounds pretty Space Mountain-y, right? It's possible there's just a huge similarity between the two tracks, but both options are possible. Or hey, maybe they're just bumping the Social Network soundtrack and none of us knew about it until you discovered it. Thanks for calling. Hi, Carly. This is Zach from Boston. With Gideon's just today announcing that there's going to be a backstory to their new location in Disney Springs, hopefully tying in with Disney, with the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Is there something in Disney or Disney adjacent that you wish had a backstory? Um, I tried to think of something, and I think the Speedway at Magic Kingdom might be redeemable if it had some kind of reason for existing other than to smell like gas. Uh, okay. Can't wait to hear what you say. 
Thanks. Bye. Whew. Good call. Let me back up and explain everything that was mentioned to anyone who may be very confused right now. So Gideon's Bakehouse. If you follow me on social media, you know I am obsessed with their cookies. I regularly rent a car when I'm in Florida just to drive there. And then, this is really embarrassing, I carry them on the plane because I don't trust them in my luggage. I don't want them to get lost. And I freeze them individually and I take them out like when I emotionally need them. And I had my last one last night, so this is a bit of a stressful subject for me. So bear with me. Oh my God, I love them so much and they don't ship nationwide and I don't know why. Anyway, they make an excellent about half pound cookie that used to be sold at Polite Pig in Disney Springs, but now they are opening their entire own location at Disney Springs. The caller also mentioned Society of Explorers and Adventurers, or C. It's kind of this mythical secret society that has ties to Disney attractions and restaurants and other things worldwide. Its most notable presence is within Hong Kong Disneyland's Mystic Manor, whose main character, Henry Mystic, is a member, and Tokyo Disney Sea's Tower of Terror, which has an original backstory different from ours about Harrison Hightower, who is modeled after Imagineer Joe Rohde. It's pretty fascinating. It looks exactly like him. Tony Baxter could never... <laughs> Anyway, there are ties to other things like Skipper Canteen at Magic Kingdom and Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar, which is actually right by the future location of Gideon's Bakehouse. But no, I was able to confirm that this new backstory is not a part of that society. Now, I'm honestly not sure how much Disney fans know about this, but when Downtown Disney was fully rebranded as Disney Springs, every single location had an extensive backstory. I know this because <laughs> I've done a walkthrough and heard every single one, and it was very deep. That's why Gideon's Bakehouse on their Instagram recently was posting about this guy, Jonathan Lindworm. So Lindworm formerly owned the bookshop where Gideon's will be located. Everything at Disney gets a story like this. The attraction the hotels, and this is Gideon's story. So when they say they found an old daguerreotype of the owner, that's just some imagineering for you. It's a good backstory, though, and unlike some other locations who have kind of light backstories, this one really fits the Gideon's brand and style, so I'm kind of looking forward to this new mysterious character for many, many reasons. Now, to get to the core question you had, do I wish attractions had more backstories? There is not a single one I can think of where I'm like, I wish there was more here. And the only thing I can honestly think of is how much I like the backstory of certain attractions, which is opposite of what you asked. But I just want to commend Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor. I really think they solved a problem there. You know what I mean? Like, that that didn't have to happen. I don't know how they pulled that off, but it really fits the story of the movie and not an attraction. Anyway, I love Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. I won't get into it. It's very exciting. Um, and I, I know that the answer here, the default answer, is Space Mountain at Disney World. Like, it should have more of a robust story with characters and things. But that's why I love it, because all it is is like, blap, you're in space, and it's amazing. So I like things the way they are. And maybe there's a story that I don't realize that I'll discover like something at Disney Springs. Who knows? Anyway, I like things the way they are. That's my answer. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. That's our show! Thank you so much to Escaped Stitch, Brett, Clayton Williams, Robin Lopez, and everyone else who helps with the Great Soda Mystery. Especially Danielle, Sue, Paulina, Sarah, Kyle, and everybody else who shall remain anonymous. I didn't know anything about food distribution a week ago, and now I feel like I could easily lie my way into a low-level corporate job. So thank all of you so much for making this episode possible. I hope everybody enjoyed our new in-house reenactment correspondent, Alexandra Ford, an actress and writer living in Los Angeles. She has a wonderful podcast with her husband called Take Me There, which I went on to talk about Japan and really 
took them there because I refused to leave their apartment after three hours of blabbing about foreign theme parks. She's a Disney fan, she's traveled with me to the parks, and she cries at fireworks, so you know she'd be a perfect fit for any upcoming Disney character. If anyone is listening, she's your gal. I sent her text to read for this episode, and she sent back five different takes on it, with different personalities and backstories. They all sounded completely different. I was blown away. She did all that work for this little dinky podcast. She's a true professional, and clearly, one of my greatest friends. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or keep listening wherever you get your pods. That sentence just kind of dissipates into the atmosphere, but even leaving the simplest review, just being like, those Utilidor bags, right? Or five something for a soda in this economy helps so much. Seriously, this podcast takes a lot of work to put together and doing so guarantees it sticks around for a long time. So even if you want to publicly razz me for not liking Dinosaur or thinking Expedition Everest is better than Flight of Passage, if you do it there, it's like a tattoo. It never goes away. So leave your mark, won't you? Very Amusing is edited superbly by Jeff Fox, who will be very pleased to know that I finally ordered the pop filter he recommended for me, and it's on its way. So next week, your job will be, hopefully, much easier. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram all day long. Otherwise, I'll see you right here, same time, next week. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Hey, honey, it's mom. I just wanted you to know I thoroughly enjoyed this week's podcast because you know me. I believe in ghosts and mediums. I was truly a little spooked. And what do you think? The next time we go to Disney and we go on the Haunted Mansion, I'm going to be freaking out. So just, I mean, I'm sorry, the next time we go and go on the Haunted Mansion. Do you remember um, when I had that picture that one time and that ghost hand appeared in it? I am so freaked out by all that stuff, but it was a really, really good podcast. I love you and talk soon. Bye, honey.